This message first aired on the radio on November 20th, 2003. We're studying the book of Romans. We want to get right to it. And what have we found so far? Well, we found a few things. We have to find a few more things. But first we have found all the Gentiles are shut up under sin because they have a law on their hearts and they have a clear realization of the Godhead of God and they have a realization of his impending judgment. They have a, a realization that they are coming under that impending judgment because of the law written on their hearts. So they have that very plainly, and uh, that brings them into a situation of needing to decide or to know or to be persuaded of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ. And, of course, the the gospel of Christ is consummately persuasible. When you hear it put forward, it is reasonable, it appeals to your mind, it makes absolutely good sense. And now the question is, do you love darkness rather than light, insofar as you, you do know when you hear the gospel that it is light? So the question now is, do you love darkness rather than light, because your deeds are evil, or do you change your mind and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and become a child of God. So that's the case with the Gentiles. Now now we find that God finds a different way to bring to conviction the Jew, and that is that he gave the Jew his word. He gave the Jew the law. And we have found that the law, with the law comes a knowledge of sin, and that when the law of God does its proper work, it doesn't justify anyone, it condemns whoever is under it, and uh, therefore by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so the Gentile through the law written on his heart, the Jew through the law given to Israel, both come to the same conclusion concerning themselves, and that unhappy conclusion, but correct one, is that I am a sinner, helpless to correct my own nature of sin, and I need a Savior, then God presents the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior, and the issue becomes, will you receive him or not? So what, in effect, does the gospel of Jesus Christ do for the law? Well, those who oppose the gospel would say you're trying to make void the law. But in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, as presenting the Savior to the problem the law defines, actually establishes the law. That's what the Apostle Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 3. Do we make the law void through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. Now, what is established? Well, the law is established as that thing that convicts sinners. The law is established as that which in itself is perfect and which itself is alive, but it cannot impart life, nor can it make the comer thereto perfect. So we see the inadequacy of the law for the problem of sin. But what else do we see? We also see that God has laid forward by convicting all of sin, by bringing all men under sin, and bringing all men into a helpless state concerning their sin. God has done something else. Number one, he has forbidden the boasting of man. Number two, he has laid forward a different principle than the principle that is found in the law. What principle is found in the law? The principle found in the law is works, a works principle. I do the right thing, I'm okay. 
I do the wrong thing, I do this thing, I wish I was okay, but I'm not. So the law doesn't really justify anybody, but it does tell you what you should and should not do. That is a principle of works. The gospel of God lays down a different principle, a superior principle. I might say the principle upon which salvation rests. And that is the principle or the law of faith. And what is the principle of faith? That by believing in the provision that God has given, simply and only, utterly, I receive this forgiveness of my sins. I receive the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I receive the propitiation that is through faith in his blood. I am declared righteous. My sins are remitted, and God has been merciful to me. Now, that is what the principle of faith allows. So that's what we found. We have found the law to be established. We have found the gospel of Jesus Christ to be good news in the face of our horrible condition. We have found the principle of faith. Now, that's what we find. Let's look backwards. Romans chapter 4, our study for today, is the apostle looking backwards, and he asks this next question, logical in a sequence and reasonable to all of us. As he looks backward, he says, What shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? So we have found this thing. What did Abraham find? It's a good question. See if Abraham found something different than we have found. For if Abraham were justified by works, he may glory, but not before God. Now, here's really how we should read that. If Abraham were justified works, he can glory, but he doesn't glory before God. For what saith the Scripture? So if Abraham found a salvation, if he were justified by works, if Abraham were justified by works in this matter, justified from being a sinner, declared righteous by God as a sinner. He could glory, but he doesn't glory before God. Why is that? What says the Scripture, verse 3? What says the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him or imputed to him for righteousness. Now, that's a quotation right out of the Scripture itself, and so we're going to have to go back there and look at that, even though we have spent considerable time there in the past. We'll look at it again. But what does the Scripture say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, found? And that what the Scripture says is that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, that harkens back. Harkens, that's kind of a Bible word, isn't it? But it's a good word. It harkens back to Genesis chapter 15. So we'll look there, and we find in Genesis chapter 15, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. That was a provision of the Code of Hammurabi. The order of inheritance was, of course, your own child first, especially your son. Your heirship goes to your firstborn son. Now, when there is no son, 
then you would take the chief man of your household. In the case of Abraham, it was Eleazar of Damascus. He was the steward in his house. And his son would be the heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, Genesis 15:4, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine old bowels, he shall be thine heir. Now the Lord is talking about somebody who isn't. He's telling Abraham about someone who isn't, which is a word of faith, calling the thing that is not as if it were. And he brought him forth, that is, God brought Abram forth abroad and said, Look now toward the heaven. He took him to a place to view the heavens, and he said, Look now toward the heaven, and tell the stars, if thou art able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And Abraham believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And that's the quotation we have in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, here we're going to see a, a couple of things. First of all, the gospel of Christ and the gospel of God, which are the same. The good news of God is the good news concerning Jesus Christ, his son. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the just is given for the unjust. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him, well, how did God give his son? He gave his son sacrificially on the cross of Calvary. And he pointed out that he was the son of God with power when he raised him from the dead. So Jesus Christ died as a substitute for sins. And this is how God demonstrated his love for us. This is the plan of God in redemption. But the principle now for man as a sinner is to simply believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and nothing else to be justified or to be saved. This is the justification that God has. So what did Abraham find? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, this word counted, another way of translating this word or understanding this word would be to use the word imputed to him, or it was reckoned to him by God for righteousness. This is the same word as in verse 4, reckoned. It is a solid word logizomai, which can be used in accounting, for example, as accounted. That is to put on the account. That's what that word means, to reckon to that account. That is to attribute to that one, to attribute. So Abraham believed God. It, that is his faith, was attributed unto him in place of righteousness or as righteousness. Now, Abraham did not achieve a righteousness. There's no achievement here. What there is is faith in the word of God that was given to him concerning the seed which is to come and the future of that seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as is one. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, that seed. Abraham believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it, that is his faith, was put to his account as righteousness, because why? Because he believed in Christ, and Christ is righteousness. So the substitution of the Lord Jesus Christ for Abraham is affected to his account merely and simply and only 
when he believes. What a simple transaction. What a glorious transaction. What a wonderful transaction. And what a clear transaction. In the gospel of God, the good news of God is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of all man. And the good news specifically applies to Abraham when he believes it. And that substitution for Abraham's sake is put to his account. In fact, the substitution for Abraham's sake was put to his account before the Lord Jesus even came and died for his sins, because with God, when he says this is what will happen, his future is as certain as his history. What Abraham found is the faith principle. Abraham found that he was also justified, declared righteous by God, not on a works principle, not on the basis of what he did, but on the basis of the word of God, which he believed. Now, with that being said, maybe we should look a little bit further at what the scripture says and undo some bad teaching that probably has come to you. And we'll do that when we come back from this brief announcement. I hope you stay with us. Now, we're looking here in Romans chapter 4, and it asks the question and answers an important one. What then did Abraham find? And he found that he was justified apart from works by faith only, and that's what he found. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, let me just make an aside here, and I almost feel compelled to do this, not so much uh, because uh, it's necessary every time for you to understand things well, but because today there is so much confusion about the gospel. Something very simple that was never hidden by God, that was given by God at the very outset of the scriptures and repeated in type numerous times, and that was well understood by Abraham before ever a law came, has uh, been convoluted and confused so much by its ostensible adherence that today people tend to believe or tend to say that, well, if you really believed, you'd behave a certain way. And let me tell you that the gospel is behavior apart. You believe in the Lord Jesus. We're all sinners, so we all qualify as poorly behaving people. And uh, let me assure you, the Bible says, when God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe on Jesus Christ, it does not have anything to do with your behavior. It has to do with faith, with changing your mind, concerning the way that you're going, concerning the way that you look at things, especially changing your mind, considering the way you think of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's what it means. And uh, somebody has asked me this question, and I'll just pass it along to you, the question and the answer. And it's always a theoretical question, and the question is this. Well, let's just say that I believe in the Lord Jesus, or we'll use a third person, that a man believes in the Lord Jesus Christ one night, and let's just say he's a drunk. That's like one of the favorites we like to use, drunks. He's a drunk, and he comes to a, some Bible study and believes in the Lord Jesus that Christ, and the next day he's just as drunk as he was the day before. What do you call that? And here's what I call that, another drunk Christian. That's what I call that. I call that a drunk man with eternal life. What's the difference? The difference is... One time he's drunk without eternal life, next time he's drunk with eternal life. Now, there are those who will tell you if he was really saved, 
he wouldn't be drunk. Well, the Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say that. Yes, the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But you know what? All things did become new. When when that person, any person, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he receives a new nature. He receives a nature that cannot sin and that will not sin. He receives that. He receives the earnest of the Holy Spirit. He receives the eternal life that he has at that moment. He's born from above. And the problem is he still has that old sin nature. And so now he has a conflict of two natures. So there's a drunk guy with two natures at war as opposed to a drunk guy with only his own his old sin nature. And unhappily, some people use the Scripture to undo the Scripture or try to. And they, they wrestle with it, and they twist it, and they beat it, as many other Scriptures. And oftentimes they'll use James chapter 2, and they'll quote it out of context, and they'll just say, faith without works is dead, which the Bible does say. In fact, it says this, James 2, verse 17, Even so faith, if it has not works, is dead, being alone. Now, that does not teach that faith without works is not faith. If you have something dead, the obvious thing is it was once alive. So we have two kinds of faith, but faith nevertheless. We have faith that's alive, and we have faith that's dead. When does faith die? Faith dies when it stops working. That's dead faith. The Scripture teaches the widow who lives sumptuously, who lives just for this world, just like anybody else, is dead while they live. I see all kinds of dead faith around, but it's faith. What did Abraham, our father, find? He found that he was justified by faith alone. And those same who would do despot to the Scripture also twist the remainder of the Scripture of James chapter 2, where it says, But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not our father Abraham justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And the answer to that question is yes. That is when Abraham was justified by works. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or mature? Yes, I see that. I see how it is that his faith grew up from the time that he first believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. And now I see that many, many years later, nearly 40 years later, for example, he takes Isaac, his son, up on the altar and he's willing to sacrifice him, even though God made good on bringing this child because he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead. I see how he had a much more mature faith at the time he offered up Isaac than he did when God first came to him back there in Genesis 15. Then verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, Genesis 15, and he was called the friend of God, Genesis 22. Yes, I see how that Abraham was justified by faith in 
in uh, Genesis 15 and how he came along and his faith grew up and matured all the way until the time that he offered Isaac up and that he received, in addition to justification, this wonderful, pleasing title that he was the friend of God because he did what God told him. You see then, verse 24 of James chapter 2, how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only, or not only by faith. Yes, I do. I see how that a man is first justified by faith and then justified by works. I see how there are two justifications. First, how I'm justified from being a sinner to being saved and having eternal life. And secondly, as a Christian, that my faith is justified and I I can receive the title of friend of God if I please him, I fulfill my hope. And all Christians have one hope. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope of our calling. And what is the hope of our calling? That we would be pleasing to God in the way that we live our lives of faith. And so, yes, I see Abraham was justified twice, once by faith and once by works, even though his faith wrought with his works to become mature. But that does not extinguish the fact that in Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him at that moment. He was declared righteous by God. It was put to his account, and God isn't about to suck anything out of Abraham's account. Now, verse 4 of Romans 4. 4. We're back now to Romans. Romans 4, verse 4. Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. If you work for something, you don't get a gift. Your paycheck is not a gift from your boss. You may thank him for the job because you want to be gracious, but you may also say to your boss, give me that there check, I earned it. You have a claim on it. You worked for it. It's not a gift. Your boss doesn't give you a gift of your check. Well, if your check is your gift, go earn an honest living. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now here, the grace of God through faith is a whole different deal. You earn nothing. You earn nothing. Faith itself is not meritorious. Faith is simply the means by which the gift of God comes. Even as David, now we have the description, even as David describes the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputes righteousness without work, saying... This is Psalm 32. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Now, here is righteousness reckoned to my account, and it isn't that I don't sin. It is that God will not reckon sin onto my account and wipe out what is there. That is my righteousness. God refuses to put sin to my account because he has put already righteousness to my account. It is not that I don't sin. It is the I am a happy man because God will not put sin to my account. You say, why not? Well, because it's been because the sins have been paid for. That's why they've already been paid for. Why should they go against my account? The check's already been paid for that invoice. There is no sense taking an invoice against my checking account and do an automatic deduction if it's already been paid. And that's what it is about my sins. 
oh, yeah, they're wicked. I can be glib about them. I don't mind talking. Well, I mind talking some about them, but I don't mind admitting that I'm a sinner still sin. But my sins have been paid, and they will not, and that's what makes me happy. Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, to whom the Lord will not impute sin, and I am such a one that the Lord will not impute sin against me. And you can be such a one, just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who does this come to? That's the question. The next question is, cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, the question is this. Okay, so we say Abraham enjoyed this. He enjoyed this deal, faith reckoned for righteousness. Now, does this come upon circumcision or uncircumcision? Does it come just to the Jews or does it come to everybody? Well, how was it then reckoned for Abraham when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Romans 3.10. 4.10, excuse me. How was it reckoned? How was it imputed for Abraham? Was he circumcised when it was imputed or was he not circumcised? Well, the fact is, historically, we look back and it was reckoned to him for righteousness before he was circumcised. Then later, the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. So we find out that Abraham was not circumcised when he had righteousness imputed to him. Therefore, obviously, Righteousness gets imputed by faith to the uncircumcision. Circumcision was a sign or a seal that was later given to him for his assurance. And let me assure you of this, my Christian friend. The Holy Spirit of God was given to you when you believed as a seal to assure you that you have eternal life. Isn't that a marvelous thing? That God not only gave you eternal life, but assures you of it with a seal who is the Holy Spirit of promise, a down payment. Now that's not laid out in, in detail in Romans, because as the book of the as the scriptures are written, Romans, first second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, in Thessalonians, it's in Ephesians that this is laid out and reaches the pinnacle of Christian doctrine. But we're headed there. We're headed there. And in chapter 8 here, we're going to see some of it. But just as God assured, gave, he went out of his way to assure Abraham that he had righteousness, God goes out of his way, my Christian friend, to assure you that you have righteousness, because you cannot live a pleasing and victorious Christian life without the assurance of the fact that by grace through faith you have eternal life. And that's why in the spiritual war, your enemy, the devil, is trying to get you to doubt the security and the finishedness of Christ's work for you, the completion of his work. When he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. He wasn't kidding. The work for your sins is finished. You come into all of it when you come into any of it, when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, call it easy believism. Call it once saved, always saved. Happy is the man to whom God will not impute sin. You can call it whatever you want, I suppose. I call me happy, and God calls me happy, and David calls me happy. 
And now he's the father of circumcision to those who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith. So we find that Abraham is the father not only of the Jew, but also of the Gentile who believes. So here it tells us in Romans chapter 11 that Abraham might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. So what Abraham found is exactly what we concluded from the first part of Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2, and Romans chapter 3, and Abraham found the same thing, and the evidence is mounting that we've got this right. And isn't that great? So we're looking here at what Abraham found, what God is displaying here in the book of Romans, and the evidence is mounting, and it's mounting in our behalf if we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's giving us great assurance. And now we have the capsule statement on this argument. And we're going to look a lot more at the life of Abraham as we look here through Romans 4 and 5. So if you are interested in this study further, do go back and start in Genesis chapter 12, Life of Abraham. Start at the beginning if you'd like, but start in Genesis chapter 12, Life of Abraham. And go ahead and read all the way through the 25th chapter and come to understand the affairs of his life and the details of his life because here they are treated in the book of Romans as if you understand them. Now it tells us this in verse 13. I'm going to read 13 through 16. If you have the advantage of having a Bible with you, do read along with me. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made none of effect because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to that which is of the law, but also to that seed which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now, here's the promise that was given to Abraham, and here's the way really it ought to read. Not through the law was the promise. And that's right. The promise to Abraham did not come through the law. In fact, the law wasn't given to Abraham. The law didn't come for 430 years after Abraham. So there was no law given to Abraham. The promise did not that he should be the heir of the world did not come to Abraham through the law. Neither did it come to his seed through the law. After all, it was promised to his seed there in Genesis 15 but it came through the righteousness of faith. So it came through the righteousness of God through faith. It came by grace through faith. The principle through which the promise came was the grace through faith principle, not the works of law principle. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise is of none effect. And that's just a historical truth. They which are of the law come 430 years later, if if the heirship of God, the promises of God, and therefore the heirship of God, which we'll read about in Romans 8, where we find out that anyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is an heir of God, 
if heirship came through the law, then the promise to Abraham was made void because he wasn't under the law, so the law comes in and voids out the promise. And therefore the promise is of none effect. And of course, if the promise is none effect, what value is the promise of God? If it can be made of none effect, then it's not certain, it's not assuring, it's not reassuring, it's not worth believing, and it's untrustworthy because it can be negated. But of course, that didn't happen. They which are of the law are not heirs. Heirship of God comes by faith in Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. No Jew ever came into heirship without believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a Jew who's one inwardly and not outwardly, of the spirit, not of the letter. So marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again, Nicodemus. Don't you know that? That's a that's the ABCs of the faith, and you're the master teacher. You ought to know the fundamentals. But the law, of course, we've already seen that the law works wrath, because where no law is, there's no transgression. What law does is defines a transgressor. You read any kind of law of anybody anywhere, you will not find out through a law what makes somebody a nice person. You only find out through the law what makes someone a transgressor. You go look at the law, you'll see if you've transgressed, that's all. The law doesn't declare anybody righteous. The law defines a transgressor. Therefore, it, that is the heirship of God, the promise of God, the inheritance of God, the salvation of God, is of faith in order that it might be of grace. That is to say, God puts it on the faith principle, so it's on the grace principle. God puts faith as the requisite for his goodness and salvation to come in order that it might be all his goodness, everything of him. He insists, I might say, that it is all of him. God insists that salvation be only freely giving because you remember that one of the things that he was doing was stopping boasting. And you don't find Abraham boasting, no, sir. You don't find Abraham boasting, and we won't find you boasting, and we won't find me boasting, not before God, because God has shut up all of our mouths under sin in order that heirship and salvation comes to us by his free, gracious gift through faith in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the the promise would be sure to all the seed of Abraham, all the seed, Jew and Gentile alike, on the basis of faith. Not only that which is of the law, but that which is also of faith of Abraham, the father of all of us. And what did the Scriptures say about Abraham? As it is written in the Scriptures, I have made thee a father of many nations, before whom he believed even God who quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. And so he called Isaac, who wasn't as if he was, and he called all of us in Abraham as if, all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as if we weren't. After all, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, meaning the father not of one nation, but of many nations. What a wonderful salvation this is, and of course, God would invite you to that salvation. When we talk about Abraham and we talk about being the father of many nations, of course, we're reminded of Genesis chapter 17, when Abraham was 99 years old. When he was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect, or be mature. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and I will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked 
with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. So Abraham was made a father of many nations, including the nation of Israel. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. Now he saith not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And so you may say, well, how am I incorporated into Abraham? Well, understand how I'm incorporated into Adam. I'm incorporated into Adam genetically. I'm incorporated into Noah genetically. But now, how am I incorporated into Abraham? Well, the promise to Abraham was to his seed, not his seed as of many, but his seed as of one. Incorporate is a good word. It's a good English word. Incorporate means to be put into one body. We incorporate, and if you incorporate a company according to the laws of your particular state, that becomes a legal entity as if one person, though many, however many shareholders, they incorporate together as if one person, and legally becomes one person. I am incorporated into the seed of Abraham because I am in the corporate body of Christ. I'm in the corporate body of Christ. So I have been incorporated into the seed of Abraham. And so the promise to me comes because it comes to the seed who is Christ, and I'm in him, so I'm in the good of what he has. And apart from him, I am in the good of nothing. And that's still good news. That's still good news. I'm in all that he has, and without him, I'm in the good of nothing. No mind. It doesn't bother me that there, that I have nothing apart from Christ, because in him I have everything, and I'm in him, and I can't be taken out of him. Well, what a marvelous thought. What a marvelous thought that when God promised to Abraham, he looked down forward and he looked beyond Abraham and he looked all the way to his seed and it found even me. It's a marvelous thing to be able to see generations ahead get blessed and have eternal life. It's a marvelous thing to be so assured of that. It's a marvelous thing to come into the possession of eternal life by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Won't you do it? What's keeping you?